a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. To see to see the face of God is to be destroyed. So God now veils himself in in the flesh and blood of Jesus and he uses that those means namely his flesh and his blood his life and and his death he uses those means to save us and when we were baptized at the font with God's name placed upon us in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit with the sign of the cross being placed upon our forehead and our hearts marking as ones redeemed we were adopted as sons of God uh, I think. Oh, huh? 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 Oh, oh. Are we doing the show now? Is the theme over? Welcome to another edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm your host, Evan Gigline, here also with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. How's it going? Yes, morning, Evan. I'm fine. How are you? Good. I'm excited because we're uh, playing some Advent Bible Beat today. Oh, yeah. That's right. Advent already, if you can believe it. I know. Although it's not, but by the time you're listening to this, it will be. Or at least close to. <laughs> Wake up. Are you yawning over there? Uh, all right, I'm ready. Just sympathy with our listeners is what that is right there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, the Bible says we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. I think it's supposed to yawn with those who yawn. This is also included in that. <laughs> and oh, weep, man. Weep with those who weep. That's also what we do at this show. <laughs> <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. The show only lasts 48 minutes. That's right. So, uh, in the rest of the show, we're going to be... Uh, hey, Lumpy's coming back today. Yeah, I, uh, uh, Lumpy said he has a case closed for the Methodist question of, do the Methodists have the sacraments? All right. So, uh, Lumpy will be coming back on. That means you have to be getting your pipe out right now, Pastor. Oh, that's right. Smoke it up. Where did it go? <laughs> Where did it go? Uh, I was listening, accidentally listening to one of our past shows, uh-huh. and there, and there you are, uh, uh, talking, and uh, in the background, I just hear this. That's <laughs> 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 uh, as good radio as what this is. This can't be topped, you know. It's amazing we got anyway. canceled in Denver. I can't figure that out. <laughs> It's amazing no one else wants to pick up the show. It's amazing we only have 12 listeners. It is amazing. We're also going to be playing What's in Your Pastor's Library. We have to do this from time to time to make sure that uh, that uh, Pastor Wolfmuller's reading is on the straight and narrow. So uh, we're going to be uh, testing that and, and, and seeing what uh, what he's reading. Or actually, what this game finds out is what he's not reading. Uh, because, if it, because if it's on his shelf, then uh, he's probably not reading it. So... Well, yeah, should we play What's on Your Pastor's Desk? Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I think it, when we play What's in Your Pastor's Library, part of the uh, game should be you describing how much dust is on the book. <laughs> how, how many blows did it take to get all the dust off? You know, people come to my office and they say, have you read all these books? No. Oh, <laughs> come on. They, I haven't read all these. These are here to create the illusion of intelligence. <laughs> so true. Uh, it works. So that's that's the Table Talk Radio lineup. So I guess we should get started that's on it. the uh, the buzzwords, huh? Nothing to worry about today, Jane. Yeah, no. You can crank take, the treadmill. Yeah. No treadmill warning at all. 
Uh, <laughs> all right. My theological buzzword for you was sent in by our, our uh, Table Talk Radio listeners uh, at questions at tabletalkradio.org. Uh, so here I am, I am uh, getting suggestions for buzzwords now. And uh, my theological buzzword for you is orthopraxy. Am I supposed to use, by the way, the other one, the corresponding buzzword? Uh, you have free will in things below to uh, do as you choose. <laughs> oh, thank you. And, and thing, uh, things on Table Talk Radio are definitely below. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So ortho- yeah, that's true. orthopraxy uh, simply means uh, right or straight practice. You know, ortho, we talk about orthodox, and this, uh, uh, ortho means straight, like you go to the orthodontist, he's there to make your, your teeth straight. Uh, so, so orthopraxy would be just a, a straight or right teaching, um, and uh, this is this is important to know because uh, we always talk about doctrine and practice. Doctrine and practice can't be divided, you know, two two or one. What you're doing teaches, and you know, uh, we have all that. Uh, well, uh, so that means then if we don't have orthopraxy, if the opposite being heteropraxy, um, if we don't have a right teaching, we then don't have right doctrine. Uh, so you can't then say, well, I believe like a Lutheran. I just worship like a Baptist. There's no problem with that. Um, actually, there is a problem with that because if you worship like a Baptist, uh, then you are teaching basically Baptist theology because the two can't be divided. So, right practice. We have this, we have this Latin phrase, uh, lex arindi, lex credendi. Remember that thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rule of faith is the rule of uh, belief. Wait a minute. Lex arindi, the rule of prayer. Orindi means prayer. Is the rule of faith? Yeah, belief. So the, these two these two things are related. The way you pray affects the way you believe. Back and forth, they they inform each other. So you're 100 percent right. You can't just do whatever, and then uh, you know practice however you want and think that the that your right uh, that your right doctrine is safe. No, no. Yeah, and this these things matter. This has been a revelation to me, by the way, since I become a pastor, uh, because. I, I meet and talk to pastors, and they they will talk and articulate our theologies just fine. And then you go to their church, and it's like, wait a minute. If we believe the same thing, why are our services so different? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, who, who have you been talking to? Uh, well, uh, this this guy at uh, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, he, he might be nuts. I'm not sure. <laughs> My buzzword for you is Pelagianism. Now, I've been thinking about Pelagianism quite a bit lately because uh, I've been reading Joel Osteen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny to me. For sermon prep or what? Yeah, that's right. Uh, So, uh, let's see. Joel Osteen. You know, Pelagian said that man's will is basically good. Now, they say uh, maybe it has a stain uh, on it, but the stain can be wiped off, like like your stain-proof couch. (laughs) <laughs> what is it? You put the Scotch guard on the couch, so when your uh, little nieces and nephews come over to visit and they spill their milk on it, it rolls right off. That's how a man's nature is for Pelagius. It's good, basically. Now it could have, you could get a little, little stain on it, but it's easy to wipe off. Now there is mostly in the church. So Saint Augustine really gave old Pelagius a, a rough time. There's in the church though a. Uh, uh, a, a semi-Pelagianism that works its way in there, and that's so. So Pelagius says man's will is good. Semi-Pelagian says man's will is sick or weak or corrupted, but not totally bad. It still has the spark of goodness. Uh, it's able to do good, serve God, please God, etc. Neutral? Yeah. Would it be that man's will is neutral? 
Um, yeah, but neutral in the sense that you, if you have hot and cold mixed together, it averages out, but you still have these two elements kind of duking it out. Fair enough. Uh, but, um, uh, but the Bible teaches the opposite, that man's will is dead in sin and trespasses and can do nothing good, that we are born as nature, children of wrath. That's the key text there. Uh, but uh, Joel Osteen, by the way, is a hyperpelagian. That's what I, I think I invented that. I like the prefix hyper. Anyway, uh, he, he not only thinks that man's will is good, Joel thinks that man's will is powerful, that man's will has the ability to create reality. So uh, so it's a kind of, he, he his anthropology, that is his doctrine of man, is a resurgence of the old Pelagian era. It's a super high view of the nature of man. Which makes sense because, you know, Joel never talks about sin. He'll say that. I never talk about sin. Well, this is why. Uh, he doesn't believe in sin. I mean, we might make mistakes every once in a while, but you it's in your own power to to be good. Whew. So in your reading of Joel Osteen lately, uh, is there a quote, a line that sticks out to you above all the rest? Yeah, I'll find one. Okay. So I got to go look around. All right, but we have email now, too, and we just have a couple minutes. So... Um, an email that you want to... Email. Uh, here's a, to the complaint lines. The complaints are evan at tabletalkradio.org. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, where's the complaint letter email address from GE? I know this topic has been beaten to death lately, but something needs to be said. Society as a whole should act as a unifying force to distangle people from the snares set by Brother Lumpy Chunklebuns and his vice regents. Let me begin by observing that the proverbs of theologists like that of Solomon are observations on human nature, ordinary life, and civil society with moral reflections on the facts. I quote him as a witness of the fact that the term idiot savant comes to mind when thinking of Lumpy. <laughs> Admittingly, the term applies only halfway to him, which is why I claim that I recently overheard a couple of haughty uh, monomaniacs say that 75 million years ago, the galactic tyrant named Xenu solved the overpopulation problem of his 76th planet federation by transporting the excess people to Earth, chaining them to volcanoes and dropping H-bombs on them. Here again, we encounter the blurred thinking that's characteristic of this lumpy-induced error of slogans and propaganda. His minions claim to have no choice but to hasten society's quiescence to moral pluralism and epistemological uncertainty. I wish there were some way to help these miserable, manipulative di uh, disinformation artists. They are outcasts, lost in a world they didn't make and don't understand. He uh, goes on for a couple more paragraphs. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think, didn't we ask for this this guy to provide <laughs> some, some examples of, of what he was talking about? I read this thing about five times, and I said, I have no idea what's happening here. So I said, uh, so I said could you please provide some specifics? Uh, and the answer came back. Uh, it wasn't just three paragraphs. It was ten paragraphs. Uh, more of a long tyrant. Yeah, um, he said, uh, no, I can't think of examples. I can just think of uh, more complaints. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, what I, I have, uh, <laughs> I can't find the response. Let me see. Uh, well, the music's oh, okay. coming up, so... Uh, oh, it is? Okay. So so anyways, we found out that uh, our friend Greg here uh, found an online complaint generator to match our name generator. <laughs> and so he got a complaint uh, He got a complaint back. I'll read you a bit of that on the other side of the phone. All right. Look forward to that. You don't want to go away during this commercial break, then. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Uh, you're going to get the uh, response to the complaint letter uh, to GE. And then uh, we're going we're gonna to hear from Lumpy right after that. So you're listening to Table Talk Radio. Radio, don't go away, we'll be right back. 
really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. All right, Pastor Wolf Miller, right before the break, uh, you were talking about uh, the, the hate mail we've been getting, right? Uh, <laughs> this is com- really great. So the there's complaint. a complaint letter generator, and you put in the name, the title, uh, a little idea there, and you and it's just like the name generator. It, it it'll generate a complaint letter. Uh, so uh, GE uh, Greg got a, a, a letter back from us. Uh, it says, and here's the last of ten paragraphs. If there's one thing Greg is Greg is good at, it's spreading germs of hatred, discord, and jealousy, of dissolution and decomposition. <laughs> In other words, Greg has stated that his activities are on the up and up. That's just pure cameralism. Well, then, Gre- I don't even know what that word means. Maybe I shouldn't say it then. Well, in Greg's case, it might be pure ignorance, seeing that the poisonous wine of absolutism has been distilled long before Greg entered the scene. Greg is merely the agent decanting the poisonous fluid from its bottles into the jug that is world humanity. Paltry scalawags do nothing but eat and smell bad while contributing little or nothing productive to society in return for their upkeep. May we never forget this. If we are denied Greg and his co-conspirators a chance to paint pictures of smarky worlds inhabited by clueless <laughs> storytellers. Oh, and thanks for listening. <laughs> No, I'm not sure so it was a good idea go. to reveal to people the, the complaint generator. I mean, I, I know that was flooding. Greg did let me know that uh, in all of the, he, he says, in the, all the many years of causing mischief with the complaint letter generator, the, you were the first to figure it out. I I put that, as, uh, I'm going to print that out and frame it right <laughs> Where does the badge of honor? Greg continues to say, uh, I hope you found it humorous. I find random complaints hilariousness. I am a Baptist, but this is more like Lutheran humor. <laughs> Exactly what the difference between Baptist humor and Lutheran humor is, except for the existence of the second. <laughs> I don't know either. Thanks for the thanks for the note, Greg. Well, we do have some other email though. You always want to get to Lumpy. Uh, let's do the one uh, serious email here. Uh, this is from uh, Brett in Minnesota. Hello, gentlemen, Pastor uh, Wolf Mueller. On a recent part, podcast, I heard you struggle with how to speak of biblical surrender. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've been thinking about the same topic, topic and have been struggling how to explain uh, and think of it properly. I did a quick word search on, in the Logos Bible software and found that surrender is only used once in the scripture. Hey, that's you got that? Oh, or, oh, next Bible time we B. play uh, Bible uh, B, which is today. That's right. Once, First Corinthians eleven, or sorry, First Corinthians thirteen three. If I surrender my body to be burned, and even that reference is not how the word surrender is so often used in Christian circles. I wonder if what Christians are trying to say by using that word is that they're desiring to live in repentance and faith. I'm personally being drawn away from using this word and focusing on using words that are actually in the Bible. Here's the uh, issue, and ma- but here's the issue, and maybe you guys can have some thoughts on it. I so often hear something like this. Christ calls us to surrender to him in all areas of our lives. I always leave a call like that feeling unsatisfied and guilty and convicted, etc., etc. The law always demands, and sometimes I get burned out with the constant demands of the law placed on believers. Am I missing something here? It would be very interesting to hear a segment on your show on this issue. How does Romans 12, 1-2 fit with this as well? Thanks, Brett from Dalton, Minnesota. Well, thank you, Brett. Now, um, so... So he's so that's a good point. Surrender is only used once in Scripture, 
Um, the way that it usually comes up is, and I think as it's been written um, into us from our listeners prior to, um, is like when Jesus says, uh, uh, "Take up your cross and follow me." So I mean, there's certainly right. it doesn't use the word surrender, but the the idea is there. Uh, so the question then before us is is what what way can we rightly talk about surrender? Now he he talked about this, uh, you know, when when someone says that uh, you should surrender. Uh, surrender all of your life, every section of your life to to, to Jesus. Oh, I, I have a funny story to tell. Can, can we do have time for a story? Uh, yeah, I guess so. You sure? Okay, good. Um, when I was in college, uh, there was a sermon uh, during chapel one day, and when when everybody walked into the to the auditorium where we have chapel, um, everybody was given a key. Like like you know, they they went and got the box from maintenance where they put all the old keys and gave everybody a key when they walked in. And then the sermon was about how um, uh, so many times we want to uh, treat God, uh, Jesus, like, uh, uh, what's that show? Um, uh, trading Spaces, where we give God a section of our life, but they, he can only redesign a section of our life, one room. But we need to be like Extreme Makeover, where we let God redo our entire life, our whole being Etc. Etc. So uh, what we were supposed to do is uh, take this key and give it to the campus pastor and tell him why we were giving our our, our surrendering our our whole selves to, to to Jesus. Hold on, I'm writing this down for this weekend. Yeah, right. I hope. Yeah, find, find some keys. <laughs> so I still yeah, have yeah. this key. <laughs> hey, you never turned it in. Never turned it in. I still have it. You're an unrepentant and, scalawag, yeah, like right. Greg. Well, if I was thinking, you know, if we were going for analogies, <laughs> I thought the better analogy was that, uh, unbeknownst to me, for any uh, merit or or worthiness in me, I was given a key for no reason whatsoever, just when I walked in. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, this would be pretty a better illustration that I don't have to ask for it or or handed over to anyone. I was just given a key. Now, I can take this key and throw it in the trash if I want, but uh, I'm keeping on my key ring because I want, to, want Jesus. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I, I, I think everyone else was busy at the altar giving their whole lives to Jesus, and you're out in the parking lot testing which key the car fits in, car, what car the key fits into. Now, which maintenance building it open? What a Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, 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 the point, the question here is that, that, uh, uh, Brett brings up is when someone brings this to our forefront and says, you need to surrender your whole life to Jesus. He, he perfectly nailed it. It is law. And, uh, there's no way you can walk away being comforted if that's all you heard. Um, right. That's but, right. But wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, oh the question oh, oh. is, is that a proper okay. preaching of the law? Now I'll let you answer that. Well, you have remember the law can, um, and when law is misused, it comes across in three forms. So you have the mystical misuse of the law, the moralistic misuse of the law, and you have the rationalistic misuse of the law. Our three ladders, and, and so that surrender can be taken into the moralistic misuse, and that's what the lordship theologians do, and that's what's going on in this email. You surrender your whole life to Jesus. It's you might have Jesus as your savior, but now is he your lord? See, that's the classic. Lordship uh, theology um, error, and it's and that makes this word surrender into an act of the will, and now it's moralism. You can also have a, um, the mystical misuse of the word surrender, which is what we keep getting after, and that's in um, the praise songs, is where now you're abandoning yourself 
you're you're losing your own identity so you can be absorbed into the into the ocean of divinity that kind of thing you're sinking into the um to the glory which is god and all of this and that kind of surrender where you the, to the the loss of self loss of identity or even loss of awareness time sinks away you become unaware of your surroundings and now you're having a an experience of the unity of your self with the divine nature that kind of surrender that's mystical surrender and also wrong um to rightly talk about surrender i suspect we would talk about how jesus uh hands himself over he surrenders himself Mm. uh to the devil and to sin and to death for our sake i mean that would be the right way to talk about and then um and then I, uh, for, as far as the take up your cross and follow me, um, I, I think that, and it was, we had it in the email exactly right, that that is the Bible's call to repentance so that we are not first serving ourselves, but rather by faith in God, we, uh, we begin to serve our neighbor. Um, so, so we trust in Christ and we love our neighbor. That, that's the biblical idea of surrender which is not uh, surrender at all in fact it's it is repentance all right so deal with this therefore i urge you brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to god which is your spiritual service of worship yeah th- that's a really interesting so that's the romans 12 1 verse and the and uh most bibles will translate the word there it's a logo something uh d- describing your service it's um, but it's it's it would be better reasonable. This is your reasonable liturgy, is that you is that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which means um, to to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice means that Christ has given us life, and now what we do with that life is that we serve our brother, we um, uh, we we lay down our lives for our friends, uh, and this is a reasonable thing to do because after all, Christ has done the same for us. Hmm. Ah, very good, very good. Are you with me on that? I am. I'm and I have the Greek handy. Oh, here it is. I, by the way, I know Lumpy's anxious to get on the show here, but I found another email as I was scrolling through here that we should answer. Okay, we've got a, a minute here, so go ahead. Okay, on your 6-14-2011 show, what was that, June, uh, with uh, Evan Gagline, he said that it was after the formation of the Roman Catholic Church, so that would be 1547, the Council of Trent. This needs to be corrected. This is, by the way, by Deb. Uh, thanks for the email, Deb. The, uh, the 19th Ecumenical Council opened at Trent on December 13th, she says, 1545, and closed on December 4th, 1563. Its main objective was, quote, the definitive determination of the doctrine of the church and answer the heresies of the Protestants. It was not to form the Roman Catholic Church, as was implied on the show. Wikipedia says, New Advent site says, etc. So she has some quotes there. I enjoy the show, but I didn't want you to be misinformed when the Catholic Church's formation came about. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Deb, for the email. Your response. Uh, what did I say? You said that the Catholic Church was formed at Trent, which I, by the way, agree with. The Catholic Church always wants to claim that it's this ancient institution, but the problem is it, the Catholic Church as we know it today started at Trent when it rejected the gospel. I mean, before that, uh, people could preach the gospel, could talk about justification and how Christ is our atoning sacrifice, etc. But after the Council of Trent, that preaching is anathema, and the Roman Catholic Church becomes a different institution. Hmm. Uh, it is only as old as the Council of Trent. Uh, uh, and no older. 
That's that's really profound, and I like to take credit for that, but I really just don't think I said that. I'll have to go back and listen. Um, I I think that I said that the Council of Trent was a response to the to the uh, to the Reformation, but uh, I will I'll go back and listen to that show. I will torture myself uh, and listen to that show and to to see if I if I said that. But if I did, I'm going to claim what you just said is the reason for it. <laughs> you, you can claim it and get more complaints. All right, so Lumby coming up right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. With your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflex, genuflex, genuflex. Make a cross on your abdomen when in Rome, do like a Roman. Ave Maria, gee, it's good to see you. Getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic and doing the Vatican right. There isn't a way in the English language to indicate we are using the singular you. But thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Never seen a happier crew. Well, they all go there but to have a good time and to eat that grub so sly. Have apple sauce and butter with the sugar and the gourd and the great big Methodist pie. Hey, welcome back to Tippet Talk Radio. This is everyone's favorite part of the show when Pastor Wolf Miller leaves the studio for a bit and uh, Lumpy joins us. So, welcome back, hey. Lumpy. Great to be back. It's been a while. It Glad ha- to be with you. We missed you last week. Were you on vacation? What were you doing last week? Uh, no, I was. Uh, I was uh, trying to hire a collection agency to come after <laughs> you. You know, and I thought you were doing this out of the goodness of your heart. Yeah, yeah. Private eyes don't work for free, bud. <laughs> Especially when they're investigating particularly hairy questions like the one you gave me. Well, sometimes do bad ones do. The sacraments. So, so, Nobody knows that. So, sometimes uh, PIs with bad imitation voices work for free. <laughs> <laughs> ones that have a, a name generator for their name. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so uh, I understand that you have claimed case closed on the question, do the Methodists have the sacraments? Right. Now, it's a complicated question because uh, because there's a bunch of words that need defining uh, that are fairly loose. So uh, one is the word sacrament. The other is the means of grace. And the other is the word Methodist. <laughs> These are kind of slippery things. It's like trying to catch a greased pig. Uh, but anyway, so we'll start with the word sacraments. What What is the sacraments? Now, the first thing to note is that the Methodists claim to have the sacraments. In fact, they claim to have means of grace. We uh, we had a Wesley sermon on the means of grace where he said we have the means of grace. And those three means of grace were, do you remember? Uh, prayer, uh, the word, scripture, yep. and uh, the Lord's Supper. Right. So those three, prayer, scripture, and the Lord's Supper. So the, the, the first is that the Methodists claim to have the sacraments, and they claim to have the means of grace. Now, what do they mean by means of grace? This is very important. What the Methodist Church means by, uh, by means of grace, and this goes back to the theology of John Wesley, is that God comes to us and gives us spiritual blessings so that we might live a life of obedience and service to him. So that grace is an empowering sort of gift of God. Similar, I dare say, to the uh, Catholic idea of grace, uh, which is also a sacramentally infused um, power that gives us the strength to do meritorious good works of love and charity for our neighbor. So very, very similar. 
So the means of grace is actually uh, an internal spiritual gifting that allows you to serve God. Now, um, what the, the Lutherans mean by means of grace is, is something entirely different. What the Lutherans mean by means of grace is simply a thing to which the Lord has attached his promise of forgiveness. Um, so that when we go to baptism, we have the promise. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. When we come and hear the absolution, we hear uh, that our sins are forgiven. When we go to the Lord's Supper, we hear, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. This is the cup of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So it's a thing to which the, for, the promise of forgiveness of sins is attached. So grace in the Lutheran idea is uh, forgiveness, promised forgiveness. Grace in the, in the Methodist idea is in strengthening spiritual blessing. Now we get to the third part, and that is the question of the Lord's Supper. What do the, uh, what do the Methodists have in the Lord's Supper? Well, they don't have a memorial meal like our friends the Baptists. They would never say that. Uh, they would say that they have uh, Christ present. In fact, they would even use the language of real presence in the Lord's Supper. You with me still? Yep. And yet we did the historical work and we traced back uh, from the uh, Methodist uh, articles of faith, that um, the Methodist articles of religion from 1784, that their article on the Lord's Supper is taken straight from the 39 articles of the Anglican Church, mm-hmm. and that those 39 articles of the Anglican Church are uh, are uh, influenced by John Calvin, who believed that the believer has a spiritual communion with the divine Christ in the Lord's Supper. Now, that's a bit confusing, but you can go and ask this simple question. Do you eat the body of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? And uh-huh. John Calvin would say... No. So the Anglican Church would say officially in the 39 articles, no, although that's muddled by their liturgy. And so the Methodist Church would say also from their articles of religion, no, you do not eat the body of Christ in the Lord's Supper. So, uh, you know, though we practice closed communion, uh, should a, uh, let's say for an example, a, a Jew or a Muslim sneak up to the table and to receive communion, um, we would say that they still receive uh, the very body and blood of Christ, whereas that would be an impossibility for John Calvin and 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 the Thirty Nine Articles, and now also John Wesley, uh, because you have to partake in faith in heaven uh, spiritually, and so one who apart from faith can't possibly receive that. Am I right? Right. Okay. You're right. That's what we call the manducatio indignorum, and I think we brought that out a little bit. The eating of the unbeliever. Does the unbeliever have the body and blood of Jesus, or is it only by faith that you commune with Jesus? And so we, the Luther, I mean, you guys, the Lutherans, uh, <laughs> Lumpy, wait, wait, wait. by the way, Lumpy, is... Lumpy, I want to know, what, where do you go to church? Uh, I uh, uh, <laughs> haven't thought about that. You haven't thought about going to church and we're put, putting you... Look, look, I'm scolding someone who doesn't go to My church. My persona? <laughs> Maybe I was kind of Father Brown mystery type. Maybe I'm... A... <laughs> Okay, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm stumped. i got to investigate. My next question will be where I go to church. Ooh, we'll put you on that. Well, I mean, could that be pro bono? Because we, really, we, really we can't really afford this. 
right. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so uh, Mondo Cato Indignorum, does the unbeliever get the body and blood of Jesus? Uh, you Lutherans say yes. We Methodists, no. Those Methodists say no. Uh, body and blood is, uh, you only commune spiritually through faith. So they do not. They say they have the Lord's Supper and the means of grace and the sacraments. But what we're working with is totally different definitions of sacraments and means of grace and the Lord's Supper. So could a Lutheran say that the Methodists don't have the sacrament? Yes, a Lutheran could say that and be right. Sweet. So I'm going to say that to every Methodist I meet from here on out, and then I'll say, just yeah, go talk. To, whole, just go talk to Lumpy. That's, that's how this whole thing started. Tell us about that. Yeah, how did that by, by Pastor Wolfmuller saying that exact same thing to. Uh, he told me about. He told me the story about how he went to Seward for a worship conference and said no one else had the sacraments, and a Methodist lady was there and took great offense to that. And he said, "I'll hire a private investigator to find out." <laughs> Lo and behold. All right. Lo and behold. And, and we've had uh, table talk All radio right, segments so ever closed. since. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm. So I've got my file here. It's going in the file cabinet. Wesley Methodist Lord's Supper question, Lumpy Chunklebuns, P.I. Sweet. All right, so it's time for Bible Bee then. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be doing uh, an Advent theme Bible Bee. And tell us, yeah. Pastor Wolf, from there, what in the world is Advent? Um, Advent means coming in, uh, must be Latin, Advenio. Uh, to come, and this is you see that theme in all of the uh, in all of the Advent text. Advent is the four weeks before uh, Christmas, and it's the first season of the church year, and so it's a preparatory season. And we have kind of the threefold coming of Jesus in the in the in the season of Advent. We have his first coming in humiliation, his incarnation. We have his continual coming to us in the sacraments, and then we have finally his uh, the teaching of his coming in glory. To judge the quick and the dead, and to rescue us from this uh, from this world. So we have this. Uh, it is a, it's kind of a season of repentant joy. It's a preparatory season uh, in uh, in the church year, uh, Advent, and it comes up. It starts. It always is the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day, so that is uh, November 27th this year, Advent one, also the first Sunday in the church year. Ad te lavabe. That's the name of it in Latin. Okay. Very good. Are you ready for your first entry for Bible Bee? Oh, yeah. The way that Bible B works is uh, you have three rounds, three verses, one verse, and one word. And uh, the task then is to identify which book of the Bible this verse or word appears uh, in the Bible. And then there's also uh, a little bit of law gospel element to it, too. So, uh, if you're ready for your first round, your three verses are as follows. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed uh, who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Ooh, ooh I gave you four verses. You have no reason not to get it then. Yeah, that's true. Um, yes, this is an epistle, so it's, uh, it's not uh, Old Testament, it's not gospel, it's an epistle, it's a letter, and it's, you can tell with this direct language, as you, that this is how the apostles will write, you brothers, uh, this is, this is some advice for you, encouragement for you, 
And here it's uh, the encouragement is to be steadfast to the end. Now, it's it's really quite marvelous that the teaching of the second coming of Jesus um, it serves both as law and as gospel. I mean, the law is, you know, be awake, be ready. Don't let that day find you unaware. Um, always live in this ready expectation of Christ's coming. Uh, and uh, But then there's this gospel is because when he does come, uh, look up for your salvation draws near. This beautiful sort of thing. All right, I'm um, going to cut you off right there because as you can hear, we're going to a break. And then uh, right after this commercial break, we'll get to your guest for the first round of Bible Bee. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we are in the middle of playing Advent Bible Bee. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Wake awake, for night is flying. The watchmen on the heights are crying. Awake, Jerusalem, arise. For those who thought the 100th episode was a sign of the end times, this is still Table Talk Radio. also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord is at hand do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged behold the judge is standing at the door that's uh two of your four verses you got for round one uh in bible b <laughs> pastor wolf miller uh do you have an idea of what uh which book of the bible this this is found uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say I, I you know who talks a lot about the uh second coming well i mean paul does of course john uh, does a little bit but peter really uh, takes up this topic uh, in his epistles, first and second. So I'm going to say Peter, uh, first Peter. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Oh, you man. were looking, and I even gave you four verses in the New Testament. I know. I know. <laughs> I know I should get it, but I'm thinking the whole time, oh, I should know this. I should know this. But This is an Esther. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, James, James chapter 5 is where this comes in. Oh. So uh, yeah. Lutherans don't read James, so I knew I knew I, I could get you on that. James, if you go, if you go to James or Esther, <laughs> yeah, I'm against it. So uh, you already talked about this a little bit, but law or gospel? Uh, well, this is gonna be both, yeah, both law and gospel. Okay, very good. All right, your turn or my turn, actually. Uh, yep, <laughs> my turn, your turn. Take heed of yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. That the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Hmm. Okay, so this also is an epistle. And for some reason... Let me read the next verse just in case. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Okay, so this is definitely a, a narrative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very epistle-esque. True enough. The, le- the letters are red, though, so I know it's not in the epistle. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I was going to guess first or second Peter just because I had no idea, and that's what you guessed. So, um, But uh, this is going to be <laughs> one of the narratives, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um And I know that Matthew deals pretty heavily with this kind of stuff, like in Matthew 25. 
but I don't think that that, that is Matthew 25. Um, so I am just going to guess um, the gospel according to St. Luke. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 34 to 36, and then the bonus verse 37. All right, read it again uh, for a law gospel. Yep, but take heed of yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, this is both law and gospel. You have law in the first part, um, uh, where where Jesus is talking and, and talking about the... Uh, the, the drunkenness, so that so that uh, as as you mentioned before, that that we would uh, you know the, the scripture talks about uh, the second coming as a thief in the night that the, the master comes as a thief in the night. So to, so to be ready. So uh, those uh, who I mean, can you imagine being broken in? You're like I've been expecting you. Uh, in fact, I've had I've had this Bible and I've calculated when you would break in. And uh, I, I added up all the numbers and divided it all by four and the square root of, of 17. And I calculated when you would break in. I mean, that's ridiculous. And so also mm-hmm. uh, those who think that they can just plan their repentance, that I can uh, live uh, according to my own will, and then I'll uh, repent uh, at the end. Um, this this uh, is, is, a, is dangerous talk according to Jesus. Instead, though, you have gospel. Uh, in in um, standing before uh, before the Son of Man. So read, read that just last part one more time. Pray, therefore, that you may yeah. be counted worthy to escape all the things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Yeah, to stand before the Son of Man. To be Oof. to being counted worthy is pure gospel. That uh, the reason we are counted worthy is for the sake of Jesus' death on the cross for us and for our, our forgiveness. And that we are then counted righteous Counted worthy before the Son of Man because of what He has done for us. That is gospel. That's beautiful. All right, so you yep. need another one then. Oh, let's see. Or give me a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did give me a chance on that last one. <laughs> yeah, here's a chance. I should have been able to. Ready? Yep. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Oh. <laughs> this is the one you were so happy about that you found so this is talking about now Ad, one of the big themes of advent is john the baptist um uh who comes preaching repentance <laughs> and uh, faith and baptizing he's prophesied by isaiah in isaiah chapter 40 and then the, the um uh that uh prophecy from Isaiah 40 is quoted in the New Testament. I think that's what this is. Strengthen the weak hands from Isaiah 40. Uh, he, you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will make the uh, highway in the desert. The one crying out, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then, um, and then uh, uh, you know, uh, take down the mountains, lift up the valleys, strengthen feeble hands. Uh, so Isaiah 40, and then this would also then come across not in I don't I don't think in John, John the the conversation that John gives us is a bit different, but I think this is going to be also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but I don't know which one you have your finger on. Uh, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Luke. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry, that is incorrect. This is actually uh, from Isaiah 35. <laughs> oh, Isaiah 35. So if you would have just said Isaiah, you would have been good, but uh, oh, you man. over you overthought. Now this uh, is the Old Testament reading for the. Um, oh, I lost it. Oh yeah, Advent three in the one in the series A. Uh, but but here uh, the the ransom shall return is the title of this. Um, the wilderness shall be a dry uh, shall be a dry land and be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the uh, like the uh, crocus. Uh, it shall be it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And then it goes on to the part that I read to you. Uh, so this is uh, Isaiah I'm 35. For it, by the way, what verse? Is oh, uh, oh, yeah. No ver- wonder verse. I can't find it because I'm looking at. At Psalm 35. <laughs> and then verse 3. anything like that. 35.3 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Yes, yes. Look, that's not even quoted in the New Testament. Oh, Hebrews 12. Quoted in Hebrews 12. Quoted in Job chapter 4, too. How interesting. Yes, the glory of Carmel. So this, by the way, is a gospel, if you were wondering about that. I was. Uh, so the coming kingdom of Jesus, which is really quite wonderful. All right. Uh, we have three minutes left here. So. Oh, I'm going to skip then to my one-word verse because I was so happy <laughs> I found one. All right. So this is my one-word clue for you. This occurs once in the Bible. Swerved. <laughs> Oh, swerved. Um, swerved. I'm trying to think where one of the apostles... Doesn't it Acts say that the apostles gathered in an accord? And I'm trying to do they swerve in driving this accord? <laughs> um, swerved. Uh, I can't even think of uh, how, to, uh, how to attach a passage to that. Um well, when in doubt, um, I'll just let the Holy Spirit guide me, and I'll. Uh, flip this is the, this game is the, the opposite of mysticism. <laughs> it is not to make you a mystic. Uh, I think "swerved" appears in the Psalms. Yeah, that's close. First Timothy chapter one, <laughs> verse six. But here, starting at verse five. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside to idle talk. Hmm. There you go. Oh, I should, I probably should have been listening for a lot of gospel. <laughs> Read it again. Uh, let's see here. Um, now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, which some, having swerved, have turned aside to idle talk. Um, I don't know. Is that law or gospel? <laughs> it's a, well, so it's a commandment. The goal of the commandment is love from a pure heart. So that would be the love part is um, a law, but the pure heart part is gospel and a good conscience and sincere faith. So it's saying the goal of the commandment is that we have love, but love can only be from uh, a person who has the mercy and love of Christ. Some have strayed from a good conscience and law. turned aside to idle talk. Right, right. And so that would be um, that'd be law. That would be a law. 
Okay, real quick. I didn't have uh, one word for you, but I have a whole verse since I feel sorry for you since you have zero and I have 200. Oh, okay, right, here, here's your one verse. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, all right, so this is going to be a gospel. I'm pretty sure this is a gospel. I'm going to say gospel of uh, gospel of uh, Mark. Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, 200, and that's all the time we have. So we, uh, I guess, we're tied up. We'll have to uh, settle settle uh, this uh, game or this score next time. So, uh, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are are like the Pelagian doctrine of free will. Completely useless. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views problem? expressed oh, on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this oh, station. Brother, I can't we would I like your, your feedback buzzer. on today's show. Call us toll free 1 800 385 SOLA. That's 1 800 385 SOLA. Or send us an email questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website tabletalkradio.org Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.